Welcome to the teaching ministry of C4 Church. All right, good morning, C4. We're really glad that you're joining us here this morning, and we want to say again hello to you watching online later this week, whether you're in California, you're in Mali, you're in Houston, you're in China. We're amazed where people... So let's just say a good morning. Let's say hi to our online audience today. One, two, three. Good morning. Hi. Glad you're here this morning. Well, welcome back, as Joanna said, uh, into the book of John, and we're glad to be diving back there. Before I get involved today, I just want to uh, remind you that as you're leaving today or online, uh, we have questions connected to our connect groups, and we would love you please to pick those up and use those uh, personally or in a corporate sense. And also, if you're on Twitter, we do promote Twitter in this church. I am not offended when you have your cell phone out, uh, and it's uh, the hashtag is C4Believe. And so if you understand that, we'd love you to do that. That would be great. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but we are inundated by signs. I was driving from my home to the church today and observed the multiple signs that I passed. I mean, they're so familiar to us that we rarely just stop and look at them. There are stop signs. There are signs saying you can't park here. There are signs saying deer are crossing. Well, not where I live, where some of you live north. Uh, There are signs saying children cross here. There are signs saying this is a TD bank or this is a Scotia bank or whatever your poison is. There is, I'm joking. Peter Burns, I'm joking. Uh, there is there are signs everywhere. If you think about it, this is a Mexican restaurant. This isn't a Chinese restaurant. This go here, don't go there. There's nothing worse. Think about it. When you're traveling along the road, especially down in the states, you don't know where you are. You don't have your tom tom, and the road signs just aren't lit or they're not there. It's just so frustrating. But when there's a good sign and you're looking, it's profound. Signs are not things within themselves, by the way. Have you thought about that? Signs are just signs. Signs are there to do something else. Signs are there either to point you to someone or something, or to stop you, or to command you to do something. Signs are given to move us. Signs are given to stop us. Signs are given to point us to a person or a thing. Today, it's so significant that we think through the obviousness of signs because... Today's whole message is about a sign. Like I said, we're now back in chapter 6 in the book of John. And if you've got your Bible virtually or physically, I'd love you to turn there this morning. Actually, turn to 5 and then we'll get to 6. Let me take a moment to re-remind you, whether you're joining us for the first time or or you've been with us for a long time, let me take a moment to re-remind you about the why behind the choice of this book. Our theme this year, as we see on the sides of our church here and online, is believe. Being so clear about who we are being invited to believe in, or if you already are a Christian, who we already believe in, being very clear about that, or believing and hearing what God wants to do in us personally, or believing that God is calling us as a whole church into something more new and significant. And that's why we picked John, because John is a book all about belief. Matthew wrote that Jesus is the king, so let's just worship him. And Mark was writing that Jesus is the servant of all, so let's gather around him and follow him. And Luke, the doctor, he writes that that this is the only person that has ever lived or ever will live who is perfect, so let's emulate him. But John, John is different than the other kids. Because John comes along and he says, Jesus is God with skin on. Let's believe him. 
in him. That is why John uses the word believe, trust, informed faith 98 times in this gospel. I want you to rehear his heart this morning, feel his passion, sense his devotion, sense the urgency he has for you, for myself, for his world and our world. Why did John write the gospel of John under the authority of the Holy Spirit? It's this in John 20, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, purpose in this life, and eternal life in his name. That is why John wrote the book of John, that we may enter into belief and we will continue to walk in belief. Now today we're going to touch down in John 5 and 6. Now, out of all the hundreds of miracles, I want you to catch this. Out of the hundreds and hundreds of miracles or signs and wonders that Jesus did, John intentionally chooses only to record specifically six of them. And he does this for a reason. We'll get there in a second. So far, as we've been walking through the book of John, we've seen a few of them. In chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. In chapter 4, Jesus heals a little boy that's dying, and he does it from a distance. In chapter 5, this is what Jesus did. You can turn there, John 5, 3. It says, Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there was an invalid. He was an invalid for, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for such a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? What a question. I was thinking about this as I was preparing to speak yesterday realizing I'm 37, and this man has been in this condition longer than I have lived. And Jesus walks up and says to a genuine person who's, who's physically, physically broken for 38 years, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid said, I have no one else to help me into the pool when the water stirred. Now, just so you understand, there was an idea in this time, this is a special pool, that if you were in the water, an angel would come and he would stir the water, and at that moment, you would be healed. And the invalid, you can listen to him, hear his pain, he says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred, and well, I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Humiliation, shame, brokenness, there is no way out. Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. Oh, by the way, this is the Jesus we worship in this church. Huh. Signs. They're not things within themselves. Kingdom signs are called to point people back to God. Signs are evidence that the kingdom of God is among us. Signs are given not so we feel special about ourselves or special that God may be uniquely among us. No, no. Signs point to Jesus. They point to his identity, his calling, his ministry, his invitation, and they point to his expectation among us. Never ever stop with a God-given experience or gift or sign. Because they are given to point us and call us back to Jesus, God in flesh, so we might believe. See, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the one that does the miracles because he really wants people to meet him. Because he's the one who is the supplier of all our needs, not just our temporary needs like physical healing. We get to sign number four in chapter six. It's this one sign, by the way. It's this one miracle 
other than the resurrection that's recorded in all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John include every one of them. This is the only one that's included between them all. This is Jesus' most public miracle. It starts in a very different place, a place which John does not talk very much about, but Mark, in his account, does. It starts in the craziness of ministry. Mark 6.31 reads like this, Then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat, and he said to them, this is Jesus to his disciples, "Uh, Come with me by yourselves. Let's go to a quiet place, and let's get some, what's the word? Rest. So they went away by themselves, in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus and his disciples were so popular, they were driving, drawing massive, massive crowds. Let me, let me try to articulate this. This is like Justin Bieber showing up. No, seriously. Like, you need to understand, but it's not some young guy who's singing. This guy is healing people and changing people. People by the thousands are showing up and freaking out, not because he's 18 and can sing. No, this person is changing people's lives. It gets so crazy, Jesus looks at his guys and says, boys, we got to get out of here. We need a Florida break, okay? We're going, let's go. So, there's a Florida person. Hooray, okay. Hooray, all you in Florida, hooray. Okay, so, so what he says, let's go. Let's get out of here. We need some time. So they took a moment. But the crowds, the, ca- the crowds were relentlessly dogged their every movement. The people kept coming. Why? Because of what he did. He spoke with an authority they had never heard. When he spoke, people got healed. When he spoke, demons left people. When he taught, things got so simple and so clear. His healings, it was profound. And so this day was going to be no different. The people got so excited on this day that some of them decided to walk 10 miles without thinking about food or where they're going to stay. And remember, no cars, nothing. I mean, they walk this and they show up where supposedly Jesus and his friends went to have a break. Mark tells us when they finally arrived across that Sea of Galilee to the other side that thousands have already shown up. Mark 6.34, when they landed, he saw a large crowd. Can you imagine the disciples? Oh. People, would you just leave us alone? I wanted a pina colada, virgin, of course. But I just, (laughs) like, people. It's not Jesus' reaction. They arrive for their time. And it says that Jesus looked upon them and had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Compassion. Sympathy, concern, pity, empathy, sensitivity, warmth, love, tenderness, mercy, leniency, tolerance, kindness, humanity, charity. If you actually trace the etymology of this word, you go from Old English to Old French to what they call ecclesiastical Latin. Compassion means to suffer with someone. Jesus chooses to walk into the crowd, not away from the crowd. He chooses to suffer along with them because this is why he has come. The crowds are like all crowds. That crowd is like this crowd this morning and to the many that will join us today. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer before he was murdered by the Nazis who thinking on this very thing wrote these words, there in crowds are so many questions but there are no answers. There is distress but no relief, anguish of conscience but no deliverance, tears but, but no help at all, sin but no forgiveness. What is the use, he cried out, what is the use of scribes and pastors and priests and devotees of the law if there is no shepherd to lead the people? 
Jesus see, chooses to see the world and the crowd as it really is. Not just a group of people that are pestering him. Not just a group of people that are in his way. No, no. These are people who are lost. These are hurting, broken people. People that do not have contact with the living God. No hope for eternity. People that actually lack the basic need of why they were made. To know God personally and enjoy him forever. Jesus, it says in John 6, 3. Then went up on the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. You know, it's funny, chapter 6, 3, and 4, when you read it quick, you just say historical note and move on, but don't. See, this is profound at this moment. A myriad of Old Testament illusions would have washed over the minds of the first hearers of the story. Jesus is in the desert. He goes up on a mountain and he begins to teach. Do you catch it? Here is the new Moses in the wilderness, on the mountain, about to bring the word of God to the people again. Soon, he is about to provide food that is not there. Manna from heaven is about to be given again, but in a more profound way. And oh, the Passover, John writes, is coming. Who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God who has been sent to spill his blood and cover our lives and cover our sin. And he is going to force death to pass over his people. Jesus is not just the new Moses. He is greater. Jesus is greater than the miracle worker in the desert. Jesus actually is the great I am. He is the God that met Moses at the burning bush and he has now come to set his people free. He has come to provide a newer exodus, a greater exodus. He has compassion because he has come to set us free from slavery. Oh, that's the Jesus we worship in this church. This is the heart of why he's come. And yet with all this taking place, Jesus, his teachings, his miracles, the crowd, the disciples, God in flesh is sitting right among them. With all the signs so far, they still do not truly, wholeheartedly believe. The disciples so far have seen Jesus heal the sick. They've seen him cast out demons. They've been there when he's proclaimed the good news. They were there when water was turned into wine. Like, they were there. They saw that nobleman's son healed from a distance. And they saw that paralytic lying and were there when Jesus healed him. But what is their response to the crowd? What is their response to the huge task in front of them? Is it faith? Is it courage? Is it expectation? Are they like, well, of course, this is going to be amazing because we've hung out with Jesus. We know exactly what he's going to do. No. They come to the table with unbelief and expectation based on what has been, not what is going to happen. When Jesus looked up and he saw the crowd coming towards him, he turned to Philip. Uh, where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked him this to test him, for he already knew in his mind what he was going to do. This is a heaven-given moment, by the way. Don't miss this. This is a test for Philip, a test of his faith, a test. Would Jesus actually come through? And Philip, do you actually believe who I am? Now, never, never misunderstand this. We've been teaching this. Jesus never tests us to humiliate us. He does it to humble us. He, he does it to bring Philip and others low. Why? So they will stop giving in to the greatest of sins that grieves the power of God, the unnatural, miraculous work of God. It's no different then than today. The two grand, ugly twin sisters that attack and rip away at God's sovereign work among us in our own heart is this, self-sufficiency 
and unbelief. Self-sufficiency and unbelief are the two sins that claw at faith. Of course Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus seizes the opportunity to actually let them fail so he might strengthen them and prepare them and, oh, by the way, reveal who he is. Philip answered Jesus, well, Jesus, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person just to have a bite. Philip doesn't point to solution at all. He points to impossibility, uh, pessimism, cynicism, distrust, doom, gloom, filled with negativity. Oh, I know what we call it in our culture, realism. Oh, logic, minimal requirements, statistical pessimism. He doesn't even look beyond his own means. This is all about the external evidence. Listen, Jesus, love you. But this cannot logically be dealt with. I'm so sorry. Listen, I know you're interesting, you're weird. You do very amazing things. I mean, I'm really impressed. But you've got to understand, this is just not going to happen. See, I've pulled out my iPhone, and I've calculated. Hold on a second. This is going to cost a minimum of 30, 40 grand. Boys, gather. Judas, Judas Iscariot, you're, come here. Do we have 40 grand? No, see, Jesus, we don't have 40 grand. But okay, let's just do this. A MasterCard, America Express, debit, Visa, subway cards, every note. See, Jesus, this is stupid. Come on. This is not going to happen. Another of the disciples, Andrew, it's Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, and how far are they going to go among so many? This seems at first better than Philip, because at least he brought something to the table, but actually Andrew is baffled, and he is overwhelmed, and he is darkened by the emergency. See, Andrew also looks in an, at inadequacy. So he says, uh, Jesus, there, there's a kid with this. What do you think? When I was reading the text this week, I was immediately taken back to a childhood memory. My parents, understanding that I was four children in one, as they always said, in other words, full intensity, we're continually disturbed at how much uh, dis disruption I used to do in church when someone like me now was preaching. <laughs> Interesting. And so they bought me this. This is my first Bible, everyone. Oh, precious moment. <laughs> it is. It's awesome. The picture Bible. For you who are young, it's like anime in 1981, if you understand. I love this because it was like an unbelievable comic book Bible, and I used just to read it and totally ignore what the pastor was saying. Don't do that this morning. And... And I just loved it. And right when I was reading this passage, I immediately had in my mind the vision, that picture, that comic book picture of this moment of the boy. And I remember the boy coming, and he had five loaves and two fish. And I was like, yeah, I remember that. But as I read the scholars this week, I realized how wrong that comic book was. See, I want to tell you something this morning. When we think about this miracle, we even start in the wrong place. When we think about five loaves and two fish, this is what we think about. Bread. Like serious bread. That's a Kaiser roll for you in the back. Just want to share. Bread. I mean, this is what we think, right? The, the guy, this is what the kid had. He was packing serious food. And not only that, he had two trout. No, I didn't bring trout today. Uh, but we thought, we thought, you know what? He, he, I mean, it's nothing, but it's something. I mean, it's bread. No, it's not. See, I learned this week, I didn't know this before, that barley loaves weren't loaves at all. Barley loaves were the crappiest form of food in that culture. It was way lower than wheat bread. They probably maybe were the size of these. 
crackers. See, the kid doesn't actually have a full lunch. The, cat, the kid has a snack. And, and not only does he not have this, actually, I, I always had this picture in my mind that, you know, like, the fish were big and they're not. They're nothing. You see... Steph, you're going to have to lead later. <laughs> you put this on my car, I tell you. No. This is what the kid brought. Sardines. I'm, I'm not joking. Two smart sardines. And when I read the scholars this week, this is what I realized about the sardines. They were given not even for protein. They were given to make the bread taste good. Because there was nothing else because this kid was so poor. Do you understand the significance of getting even this? We got this wrong because we have so much and even our less wasn't enough. No, it's way less than this. And so the kid shows up and he's got five triscuits and he's got two sardines. And Andrew says, well, this is what we've got. And Jesus says, okay, boys, let's get ready. Have the people sit down. Verse 10. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. And then he says, and oh, there was about 5,000 men there. Jesus says, let's get them ready to eat. 5,000 men. They didn't count the women or children. This crowd exceeds 10,000 people. He looks around and he says, boys, gather. You've got the gift of administration. Philip, you obviously do. Come here, gather, and have them sit in groups of 50. Prepare the table, for I'm about to do a new thing. Of course, they said. Listen, of course they did this because, you know, fine, you're going to do the power gift thing again, you're weird, whatever. But it doesn't mean they believe. Yeah, we'll sit them down, but I'm still not sure. See, how true of many of us sitting here and you online. We serve and we work and we set things up and we, we're faithful, but we don't really expect Jesus to feed thousands. Because we've never seen it before. Jesus then took the loaves the crackers. And he gave thanks. He broke them. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. I won't do that. Here it is. He blessed the food. In other words, he took the moment and asked for the power of God the Father to come upon him so he could do this unbelievable thing. And then he did it. Everyone ready? Catch this. Feel this. Know this. He broke that one little nothing of a snack from a poor kid who comes from nowhere. And he broke it two times. And then he broke it four times. And then he broke it six times and eight times and ten times. Twelve and then twenty, then fifty, then a hundred, then three hundred, then five hundred. A thousand times over he kept breaking it. On and on and on it went. I'm sure the miracle which, which, which was so profound didn't take seconds. It took hours. D Jesus didn't, didn't do this and it all appeared. He kept breaking it. And notice Jesus is doing the miracle. And notice the disciples aren't doing the miracle. Oh, but watch this. Jesus chooses to use the disciples to distribute the miracle. When they all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. This is not a token meal. What did Philip say? Jesus, no, this is not going to happen. By the way, if we had half a year wages, everyone would get one little bite. Jesus shows up and he says, are you joking me? Don't you know who I am yet? Let me tell you something. I'm not just bringing you a token meal. I am not even going to satisfy you. I am going to bring abundance to these people. 
This is the heart of Jesus. So they gathered and they filled, not one, not two, not six, not eight, 12 baskets with the pieces of the bread that had been left over. These wicker baskets in their culture were given to people to walk so they could have provision between two and three days. And Jesus comes and he gives such provision, such profound provision. There are leftovers. And I want to say it again. This is the Jesus we worship in this church. After the extended miracle that took hours came to an end, we now move to the crowd. The crowd is so full of expectation. Never, I mean, never, never had they seen this before. They are giddy with excitement. This is like, they're saying, this is like we're living in the Old Testament. Like we, we've heard of these things our whole lives. And this is wild and overwhelming. And then they begin to say it. Listen to verse 14. And the people saw the sign Jesus had performed. And, and they began to say, surely, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. You see, they're quoting Deuteronomy 18.15 which was a promise that a prophet like the Messiah would come. They knew this was supposed to happen. They and their culture religiously were ingrained to prepare themselves, but then they made a fatal error. They added on to this verse what they thought this prophet and king should do and would do and would be like. They wanted a political prophet. They wanted a Christ that would provide excellent, cheap food. They wanted a prophet who would come and provide political and economic utopia. They had convinced themselves that this coming divine accredited leader would be the one that would crush the skulls of the Romans and remove the pagans from their land, and they would be free again like in the times of David and Solomon. So they need to help God along, they decide. 10,000 people. This is a serious crowd. The sign has sealed the deal. They will make Jesus king. And they will use him to further their own ends because they know what he really wants. Right? Hmm. But Jesus, when he showed up at the scene, the devil came to him and said, Oh, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. All you need to do is be militaristic. All you need to be is materialistic. I'll give you everything. And Jesus decisively said, I have not come to do that. I have come to die on a cross. So the kingdom of God will be found in the human heart, which will birth and grow and eventually birth into a new heavens and new earth. I am not here for your politics. I am not here for your military. I am here to set the human heart free. Jesus, verse 15, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, notice it, by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus runs after he dismisses the crowd from the situation. He has come to die on a cross. I am not interested in your popularity. I am not interested in what you think your needs are because you have seen me give the sign, but you have interpreted the sign wrong, and so you have missed the giver of the sign. He dismisses the crowd. He goes back to the Father to get his next set of instructions. And then it says in Matthew's account, in Matthew 14, he dismissed the disciples and told them to go back across the lake. He shut the miracle crusade down. If you read the story, Jesus goes up to pray, the disciples go across, terrible, terrible storm. They almost die. Jesus walks in water, very cool. <laughs> And as they're about to die, Jesus appears. They think they see a ghost. And Jesus says, do not fear. It is I, which is in Greek is I am. 
It's the same word used for God meeting Moses. He says, don't you get it yet? I am God. As we come and start this year together this way, I'm so glad that many of you choose to be in church online or here that are not clear about Jesus. You don't know him, you sort of know him. We're so glad that you take out the time to wrestle with the biggest things of life. Your questions are always welcome. But I want to say to you this morning that Jesus is teaching and his acts and his miracles are clearly declaring to you that Jesus is equal to and is God in flesh. He's greater than Moses. He's the great I am. And his signs, even this sign, points to his identity. Not only that he had power over nature. No, no, that he has the power to cancel sin and overcome death and bring eternal life and actually bring purpose into your life. You see, Jesus came so you could be set free from yourself, from sin, from death, and the cycle that has happened in our human family for thousands of years. I want to say to you who are genuine seekers this morning, these words out of Scripture, and this is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with him? Because his signs and his teaching point to a radical, radical place of liberation, but you must acknowledge and submit to who he really is, not who you want him to be. You cannot be like the crowd. For us, gathering today, it's an interesting question. You can preach a passage a thousand ways in application, and most of them tend to be right. But as I wrestled and prayed and struggled with myself and for you this week, I want to say this to all of us this morning. And by the way, if you're about to get distracted, I'd really ask you to focus in. I really believe that this is a picture of our church right now. See, many of us this morning still have missed the point of this passage. This passage is not about feeding the 10,000. You're going, excuse me, you just said it was about the feed. No, no. Though that's very significant and important that Jesus fed over 10,000 people, 5,000 men plus wives and kids. No, no. See, this was about the disciples. Now, I, I want to say this very strongly to you. If you're a Christian in this room or online, you are a disciple of Jesus. And this miracle was given for the disciples it was a lesson to prepare Jesus' followers for greater things to come. Let me say this again. Jesus did this to prepare, challenge, change, and transform those he has chosen and ordained to change his world. See, for who do you really think is here? Who really lives among us? Who do you think we're really singing to in this place, or giving to, or serving, or walking with? It's Jesus, everyone. Not the one we want or we're comfortable with. We cannot be like the crowds either that try to make him or expect him or want him to be like us so we're comfortable. No, no. It's the same Jesus that show up and fed the 5,000 and broke their understanding. He is really here by his Holy Spirit. See, the disciples at this moment still had a defective view of Christ. That was their problem. And it is the very root of many of our problems in this church family. Many of us do not fully, really, wholeheartedly believe the same Jesus is actually here but he is here why do you think we sing songs about expectation and encounter because it's just a moment because it makes us feel good no because we are coming to meet with a living person named Jesus and we are expectant that he's going to show up and change us expectancy 
when it's lacking, is a sign that we don't really believe what Jesus says about himself. See, if this one passage shows us anything, it's this. Where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. I would almost use the word prophetic in that sense. See, we as a church have seen Jesus do amazing things. Just like disciples had to this point. There was a healing here, a conversion there, evidence of the kingdom. We as a church have, have seen real change. We've seen people baptized and forgiven and restored. We, we've seen people grow in their faith. We've seen profound people through great pain stand for their faith and have joy. We've had people struggle. We've, we've had one person or five or ten people here and there meet Jesus or join Connect Group. All profound, all amazing, all beautiful, all worth it. But, capital B-U-T, but. We have never as a church experienced Jesus meeting hundreds of people in a short period, let alone thousands. It has not happened in our church history. And since we as people, even as Christian people, base our understanding of what will happen on what has happened, we're just like Jesus' followers today. We know Jesus, we walk with Jesus, we love Jesus, and we expect small but powerful things, for that is what we have known But church, I want to say this morning, it is time we move from Philip to Andrew to Jesus. So many of us sitting in this room today or online are Philip. Oh church, do you not know this morning? Do you not perceive that this is actually a season of testing for our whole family? That God himself is his eyes are watching C4 to see what we think and then what to do if we act and if he acts. The testing is not to humiliate us, but to show many of us that we have made an idol of what has been, and many of us are not expectant that Jesus will ever do any more than we have seen him do. It was Chuck Swindoll, that great preacher, who said, many of us have missed the greatest miracles God wanted to give us because we were unwilling to put ourselves in the place to meet him because of our pride. See, if you're the person here this morning who's worked out all the angles... If you're the person who runs and hides when you hear about God showing up, or if you're the person just determined to do it by your own strength, you are going to miss God's very powerful work every time. Why? Self-sufficiency and unbelief. God is coming at this moment, and he's putting his holy finger on some of your chests. And he's saying, you, and you, and you, you are Philip. You are Philip. You think you can box me? Who do you think I am? But the good news of great joy is this. God doesn't just put his holy finger of conviction on some of us and saying, you're Philip and you're done. Oh no, see, Jesus did this so a new Philip would emerge. And Philip became a profound follower of Jesus. And in 80 AD, he was crucified for his faith. And many met Jesus because of Philip. See, Jesus is coming into this church and he is saying saying to some of you, you are Philip, but I'm going to make you a Philip that will die for me and the world will be changed. I will not let you be the same. Your testimony will be, I worked out all the angles, and the Jesus I had walked with and known show up, and he broke me, and now watch his power begin to work. Some of you are Philip. If it's you, sit with it. We're not done. Moving from Philip, we go to Andrew. What I love about Andrew is he brings the five crackers and two sardines. See, the challenge for our whole church, please listen, 
is to first and foremost see actually what's in our hands and then offer it to Jesus to do the thing. Okay, let me break it down this way for our whole church this morning. We're praying for revival. We're praying that Jesus supernaturally would draw close to our church for a season and the average Christian in our church, all of us, would live holy lives that many of us have never seen, that sin would be not loved among us in secret or in public, that worship would be profound and real, that giving would be generous beyond what we've ever seen, that serving would be filled with joy and not drudgery, that Christians would run to church and run to communion and run to prayer, and that we would actually like, not alone love lost people, and that for a season there would be such grand restoration because God's presence is so here, marriages are healed, people that hate each other, even this morning because you're sitting on the opposite side of our church, would be reconciled, jealousy and bitterness would die, lust would no longer be done in secret, but sexual purity would mark our church, and we're saying, oh God, come and do this great and profound thing. Oh, oh, and, and then we're praying, if that's not impossible enough, oh, um, Lord, because we believe you've prompted us, we're now praying for an awakening that thousands and thousands, not hundreds, thousands of people in Durham and beyond that do not know Jesus, want Jesus, care about Jesus, not interested in Jesus, suddenly would love him deeply, accept him as Savior, leader, and Lord, be baptized by fire and water, and become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Oh, and if that's not crazy enough, we're asking Jesus to assign 10,000 here, and we're very expecting he's going to do that in all sorts of other churches. Well, yes, but hold on. Are you joking me? I'm up here, and many of you think I'm the cheerleader because I'm charismatically inspired. Listen, this is crazy. This isn't human. This is insane. So here's the point this morning. What do we really bring to the table to accomplish that? What are we really bringing to heaven to, to do this? Well, our staff and our building and our talent and our money and our, and our gifts and our, our programs, right? They're all good. They're all positive. They're gifts from God, but they are not life transforming. They are not powerful within themselves. See, here's what I am begging you and I'm wrestling with in my own soul. We as a middle class church need to cry out, Jesus, we only have five crackers and two sardines and nothing else. We need to get in front of Jesus and say, we know our need. We know that we are desperate because of the real condition of what we bring to the table. And you asked us to pray these things. We didn't wake up in some strategy meeting and go, we're going to do this. You asked us to pray these things. And now we're coming to the table. See, some of you are not desperate because you think things are okay. They are not okay. Because we are in the place we were going, we've only got this to touch our church, and this to touch Durham, and this to bring people to faith, and this to reconcile marriages. See, when we get in the position as a church where we admit we are vain, because we think we're better than we are. We're not worms, but we're not better. And that actually we are self-sufficient. And it's wrong because we're really deeply needing the extraordinary work of God. Only when we approach Jesus and say like Andrew, well, this is all we've got. Then Jesus shows up in power. Humility is the ground in which God moves in power. 
Can I say it again? Humility is in the ground where God works in the greatest power. And John the Baptist cried out, I must decrease. He must increase. And at that moment, Jesus' ministry was started. See, four, the offering, as one wrote, was meager, but the miracle was so dramatic. It was provision abundant. Never gauge the size of the challenge in terms of our capacity. God never calls us to provide. That's his deal and responsibility. But we have to be in agreement with him and then say, oh, how inadequate we are. Come, we, we offer this, this stuff, and would you actually take it and, and feed thousands? See, only prayers of multiplication happen when we are tested. And then after we are tested, we admit what we really have in our hands. And when we are shown inadequate, we are shown that we are vain. And we are humbled. Then at that moment, Jesus shows up and says, I actually am the Jesus you worship in this church. Watch this happen. From my glory, from my will, because I love lost people way more than you do. And I love you more than you love yourself. Watch me do this. It's interesting. I thought, well, where do you end this? I was reflecting on Pastor Joe's call to us. Where she said, you know, this isn't a game. I was struck by the words when she preached. And so I think the only way we can end is in a posture where this would happen to us. And so here's how we're going to end. And actually, I'll tell you when to come up as the worship team because you need to pray this along with us. And you online the same. Number one, I'm going to lead us in prayer of three things. Number one, I'm going to pray about Philip. Number two, I'm going to ask us to be honest about Andrew and the stuff of what we really have in our hands asking for God to really reveal that, and then, then I'm going to ask Jesus among us to multiply it. And, and I just want to say this morning, you know, I know that I, I love this church because we, we allow such diversity. Stand, sit, cover your face, raise your hands, don't raise your hands. It's really good. But uh, and I, if it is possible that you could posture yourself by kneeling today, I think it would be very appropriate to what we're about to pray. I know some of you by age and stage can't, and I know others of you can't, and it's fine. I know some of you are saying, how am I going to get down? You can do it. Um, if you don't feel comfortable, it's fine. I just, I, I would, I'd request this because we're about to say to the Lord Jesus that some of us need deep change. Others of us need to admit what we have in our hands. And then we're going to ask Jesus as a family. Like, this is, this is what's about to happen. We as a family are about to ask Jesus to multiply the little stuff we bring in a profound way. And so however you can do that, that would just, that would be great. And, uh, and online, too, I know you may be on the go train. It's okay. You can get down. By the way, if you're new here today, we don't do this every week. Don't freak out. It's going to be okay. Mm. <laughs> Lord, uh, whether we're actually on our knees or kneeling in our heart, that's what's important at this moment. And as a family, uh, we're coming before you as a church and... We need to pray a few things. So here's the first thing, Jesus. Some of us are Philip. 
and we love you, and we've walked with you, but we're Philip. And Lord Jesus, if you've put your holy finger on someone's chest this morning and said that's you, I pray you, you transform them deeply. And if it is you right now that are Philip, could you just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me for using the good gifts you've given me and making them bigger than you. Lord Jesus, I would ask as one of your under-shepherds over this church that you would deeply transform some Philips among us, that they would be so radically different and their lives would be so transformed that we would say, who have you met? They'd say, I've met Jesus again. And then as a church, we need to really confess our sin. We're so middle class. And we're so self-sufficient and so materialistic and so politically driven. And we're really sorry, Jesus, that we ever thought that we could harness enough power to really make a huge difference. And so as a whole family, we want to say to you that um, we only bring two small fish and some broken crackers to you. And I'd ask you, Jesus, to actually start showing us in our own lives. And as a church, when we start thinking it's more than that, that you'd literally point it out and say it's not more than you think. And as a church, we, we repent of trusting in us, in our building, in our programs, in our staff, in our things. They're all good. I mean, they're good gifts, but forgive us for trusting. We're kneeling because we don't usually do this as a church, Jesus, because we're desperate. Have mercy on us and forgive us for our middle-class arrogance. And we're asking Jesus now for your glory that you do a work that we just can't explain, that you take the meager things we have and they'd be multiplied in a way we've never seen and not for us, for your glory, Jesus. May you take our little crackers and fish and may, may you revive this church. May you take our crackers and fish and would you feed thousands of people, thousands of people, that thousands of people in the next few years would love Jesus and follow after Jesus and believe on Jesus, not on us. Oh Lord, have mercy. May your people kneel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Just take a moment to pray your own prayer for our church as the team now comes up and then I'll end. Okay, let's stand together. Lord God of heaven and earth, is our desire as a family to live radical lives for you in the middle of Durham. And so, I mean, I'm so glad that you're the same Jesus you used to be and still are because you never change. Thanks that you just forgave a lot of us for a lot of sin. Thank you for corporately forgiving some of our sin as a church. And now the last thing we would ask is for empowerment. 
Yeah, Jesus, we need you to come in power to bring a move, to bring people to yourself. And I just pray you'd, you'd keep doing dramatic things, but dramatic things that are about mission. Oh God, revive this church so the world sees Jesus clearly. Oh God, bring awakening so people know you. Oh God, continue to break Philip and us so we will become like the Philip we're called to be. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the glory of the Father. In the name of Jesus, the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who as was on Christ is on us. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more about C4, get connected to the life of the church, or give to this ministry, visit our website, www.c4church.com.